Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. You seem to have misplaced the show, Doc. What's today's episode? Chris, why are you wearing a sombrero? Also, why is Bob dressed like Pee Wee Herman? Uh-huh. You can get arrested like that. Oh, tequila. I guess it's time for another spirit, but are we ready for it? Can we fit all of tequila in one episode? No, we can't. We're doing two episodes, so buckle up for episode one and get ready to have a drink. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you can learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. (laughs) (laughs) Shots, 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 shots. (laughs) Somehow I thought that was going to happen. Oh, God. I'm going to drink tequila. Chris, where's your shot? I I wasn't ready. I don't have a shot glass in front of me. What do you uh, prepare me for this next time? I thought you had a Glen Karen. That's not proper for shots. (laughs) That's, that's a we use some beer sample glasses. That's how big our shots are. <laughs> oh. <sighs> There's a lot more in that one than the last one. There was. Um, I about doubled it, I think. Oh, this is going to be right. fun, you guys. <laughs> Off to a good start. All right, yeah. so uh, what's everyone been up to? <laughs> well, we started at the full bottle of tequila. Now it is not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I did have a drink earlier, so oh. you're good, probably. probably. Oh, so I have been uh, ordering all my supplies, and all my local homebrew stores have closed. Aww. Hey, look, I have nothing to do with this. <laughs> the one, yeah, obviously, you have by not brewing enough in Lexington. <laughs> I don't brew it. I don't have room to brew. It's true. Um, so all of my my traditional go to brewing stores are gone, um, either out of business or have removed their brewing sections in Lexington. So really. I've resorted to ordering ingredients on a brew by brew basis instead of buying in bulk. It's probably better because I did like lose a lot of ingredients that I would order and then not use. But at the same time, it was quite convenient to just run down one afternoon and be able to brew the next day. So, but you got that free prime two day shipping, right? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> the The good thing is I do get free shipping on orders over fifty nine dollars for more beer. Not a sponsor. But yet you still got to get $59 worth to, to put in there. So I got it to $59.30 whenever I made this last order. <laughs> Looking around going, okay, what? Like you're at $58. I need something that's like $1.30. I need, I need a <laughs> just keychain. That way. He's got a um, pile of keychains that he's adding on to every order. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I got to got that ordered, and uh, I got everything to make remake the New England IPA. I'll talk about that here in just a second. But – um, also start making my Mexican lager. I've had the yeast on for a while now, trying to crop it up. It, whenever I, I talked about this a little bit before, but whenever I got it in the hot temperatures, kill off a lot of the yeast this time of year. Mm. So even if you pack them in ice, they're still hot and dead by the time you get there. So you've got to order double and then 
put it in starters until you get enough fresh, nice, good yeast at the end of it. Just picturing Casey like just friend, like you know that 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 patient in the hospital Clear. has got like a you know two hundred degree fever, and they're like they're throwing ice on, like no, save them while there's still time. That's it. Pop them in the freezer. In, uh, here. Outbreak when they're trying to keep Kevin Spacey alive, and they're just like throwing the ice all on him. Yeah, that's what I'm talking that's what about. I do. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Um, so I've got that going. I've got rice solids that I'm putting in there. So hopefully those will make it. I know it's a Mexican lager, so you got to do rice or corn. Actually, I, this one has both. Well, it's mm. just mm. Uh, it was just odd to hear like rice parts. Like, oh yeah, so like you have malt, right? You've got malt, and then you have that. If you buy malt syrups or dried malt extract. It's the same thing, but with rice. So it's okay. rice solids on the, the okay. dried rice extract. All right. Um, but on the New England IPA side, I had brewed a New England IPA and I had brewed a, um, uh, what was the other one? It was a lighter beer, uh, a Kolsch, back to back, same day. So uh, your and, new New England IPA with uh, less water hose? <laughs> yeah, so that was the issue. I finally figured out what it was after I went – like I would have been racking my brain. At first, I thought it was the hops, but then the second beer came out similarly flavored, and I was like, was it infected? Was it one of these hot, one of the yeast strains that I used to put off this flavor? Was it plastic buckets or something? You never know. And so I just started going down through it, and it finally hit me. I was like walking through the garage and slipped over the water hose, and I was like – Dang it, that's it. Somebody <laughs> poisoned the water hose. <laughs> it smells like a water hose. So my last water hose, right before the brew, sprang a leak. It was hilarious because the water hose springs a leak and then shoots water inside the garage like straight up. And here I am trying to stop the <laughs> stop the flow while it's shooting me in the face. I'm just picturing, huts. <laughs> like puts, puts his finger on one spot and it spreads. Like, huh, oh, huh, yeah. <laughs> So I run out and grab another water hose just from Walmart, not even thinking. I'm like, okay, let's just replace it with another one. And it has a slight aroma to it, but I'll leave it running for a while so that it gets that new plastic smell out of it. What I did not realize was as I brew, the water may not smell like plastic, but there's enough tiny particles in there that whenever you're using the plastic, they've got a, a, a smell threshold of like one part per million so you may not be smelling it if it's less than one part per million. But when the yeast get a hold of it, they can turn that one particle into a, another aroma particle that has a threshold of one part per billion. Mm. So whenever you get it processed by the yeast, the aroma of that is much more intense. And that's what that's what happened on this side. So here I thought I thought at first it might have been chlorine in the water, but I knew I used chloramine tablet or I mean I use uh, tablets to get rid of that. So I was trying to rack my brain and see what it was, but well, I went out and bought a brand new water hose with with a special uh, filter on the end for RVs to to clear out all of that. Uh-huh. And no matter, I'm I'm going to treat my water as if it had chlorine in it, even after I know it's going to have everything already taken out of it. So it's just a matter of of making sure that that that's fresh to start off with because it's 98 percent of what's in your beer. Yeah, uh, like that that's an awesome homebrew tip. Uh, don't use a brand new water hose. <laughs> well seasoned that hose. Well seasoned. Yeah, that was the problem. I'd used that water hose for I've had it probably for five or six years and used it every season to brew, so uh well, as you can tell, I'm at Casey's. Uh, well, if you're watching the video, yes, it's easy to tell yeah. the two of you are together. But uh if you're listening, you're going, Oh, well that's news to me. <laughs> True. Is it no. They're watching right now. 
They're not watching on stream. They're just watching. Through the window. Uh, See you, government. But no, we... Uh, uh, I happened to have some time off. I wanted to go pop in to see the family, and it just so happened uh, my niece, uh, my youngest niece's birthday is like Tuesday, and so they're having a little birthday thing for her tomorrow. Hmm. So that was convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have planned a back-to-back tequila episode <laughs> before no, you a should've. five-year-old's before a five-year-old's birthday. Screaming kids, the best hangover cure. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Fine. All right. But yeah, that's, that's, other than playing probably too much WoW, that's, that's where I am. Uh, them about you guys? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I've been having fun at the dentist. <laughs> oh. Let, let's just say, don't let your uh, dental care lapse. Dental care is important, <laughs> you guys. Yeah. Keeps you the best friends you've got. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, I was, uh, scheduled for a root canal to get in there and they start in on the fun of which I've got to say with, uh, modern numbing root canals and nothing <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's frightening how little I felt. Everyone's like, Oh yeah, you'll probably just want to go sleep that off. And even there like, Oh, you're going to need an ice pack and everything. And when all the numbing stuff wore off, I never felt anything, no soreness, no tenderness or you lucky anything. dog. But, no tenderness? Uh, How sad. They were getting... So they they got halfway through. They got it... Uh, they got my tooth down to a stump. So they, they grinded it down to, like, nothing, and they got in there and started getting all the nerve out, and I guess they got all the nerve out, and then uh, realized one of my roots is probably the longest they've ever seen. I don't know if you know how they check for this, is they shove little metal pins down through the root canal. <laughs> yep. And uh, they're doing that, and they take x-rays, and they keep shoving it in deeper, take another x-ray, shoving it in deeper, take another x-ray, and they keep, like, other people from other rooms, different hygienists <laughs> are running in, they're going, oh my god! <laughs> and I'm laying there like, ah! <laughs> Like, they're, they're just walk- people walking by, no, no, you gotta see this! You're like, who what? <laughs> yeah, they, no, they haven't told me what's going on, they just keep doing this, and people are sticking their heads in going, really? And I'm like, <laughs> you don't know that they've got a full 10 foot pole they're just <laughs> running down your it's mouth it's like they're rotorooting my tooth at this point but uh they keeps going they finally explain it to me and show me and they're like oh no they're like they don't make a drill that can do what your root does yeah. the way it like curves and how deep it goes down yeah so that's when they're like we're gonna go ahead and cut it off here because i'd been in the chair for three hours at that point with them grinding into my teeth and they were like, we're going to have to reschedule you to finish this. We're going to put a temporary crown on. So good luck. Have fun with that for the next two weeks until we get you back in. Oh, two weeks. That's yeah. a good amount of time. Yeah. Two yeah. weeks. So like, yeah, d- d- don't chew on that side. Chew everything on the other side. I'm like, oh, sound advice, sound advice. <laughs> and they're like, so the, <laughs> the dentist is going to have to go in with old-fashioned hand tools. And then <laughs> the hygienist was just laughing. And she was like, I don't think he's had to do this this year <laughs> and i'm like oh, oh good, good. <laughs> i don't think he's had to do this ever he's never seen these before so i'm like joy i, I get to be his uh, brush up on using the hand tools to get another but yeah the the good news is they'd already removed all the nerves so i'm not gonna feel anything but, by the time they're stunt. done they're just gonna do an emergency trach on you too it's like yeah you know, you're just testing stuff out now <laughs> 
Might leeches. as well. I mean, if they're using the old school techniques, might as well do leeches, good bleeding, blood with, right. good bleeding with leeches to cast the devil out of you. That's right. But it is disturbing <laughs> when, the, like, she was the hygienist was like leaning into me for leverage, pushing something <laughs> into the tooth, and like forcing my head back in the chair with the pressure. I was like, ah. <laughs> I wonder if you had the same one I did for the filling. She was horrendous. <laughs> well, what they should do afterwards is they should fill that whole section with uh uh uh, uh like tissue milk like no <laughs> you're oh, not no the scarves going this way that would be too great that that would be a, an amazing gift the uh the moral of the story that we we've, we've learned for this year basically is like uh we're going to take better care of our teeth and <laughs> Like we're we're already on Amazon looking at like water pick flossers and electric oh, toothbrushes because yeah. they're like oh the electric toothbrush is better and we're like all right and well it's not just taking care of your teeth because we like we brush and floss and that's not a huge thing it's just even if you brush and floss you still need to be going to a dentist hmm, yeah <laughs> they, they it had gotta, been years indeed. since we've been so yeah got to get in for those deep cleans at least twice a year yeah, and definitely. to be perfectly honest uh, you know I, I was on a Reddit group this past week with a few dentists just looking at i don't know some weird stuff or whatever i don't i can't remember what it was but they were just like you know to be completely honest as dentists we have no idea why you get a cavity most of the time we'll just tell you something just to make you feel like it was something you could have prevented nice Uh, (laughs) they're like oh you drink sweet tea don't drink that anymore that's that's bad they're just like trying to to give you an idea of something it could have been even though they have no clue my friend that works in a brewery they asked him uh uh, they, he went to the dentist and they're like, oh, yeah, it looks like there's some, some acid, you know, stuff to your teeth. Yeah. Uh, do you drink a lot of orange juice? I work in a brewery. Well, you should probably take, stop taking quite so many samples. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the acid. Ugh. All right. Uh, well, I think that that's up to, that's last, last for, for what we've oh, been uh, up to. Cause I don't think I've been up to anything. <laughs> the baby update, uh, we could say baby has reached, I, I predicted it. What was it? What were we sized at? Oh, ear of corn. It was ear of oh. no ear of corn, or there was another option there. Was there? Yeah, Rutabaga? No, I think it was like grapefruit or something. It was bigger than that. No, Earlier it was, it was papaya, and I did not know papaya, how big yes. the papaya was. I, it was when we got to that because she was like, "You want to guess what it is? Like it's a papaya." She's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I just heard, I was like, "It's the size of a papaya," and I went, "I want to say how big is a papaya," but the answer is just going to be. As big as my baby. There's some big papayas out there. Like, I've seen some pa- papayas as big as babies. Like, born babies. <laughs> like, as big as babies. Well, convenient, Casey. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, some of the size comparisons are a little weird. Ear of corn. It's like, well, there's some big ears of corn, and there's some tiny ears of corn. Like, are, there, there's... Like, are we talking a full-on giant thing, or like some maze? When it was like know? banana, are I was ta- like, are, are we... we- are we talking all that big ear of corn oh. from the 90s? Nickelodeon? The- deep, nice. deep cut. Way to reach back. Yeah, it's like it would, it's, if you say, oh, it's as big as a banana. Like, are we talking plantains? Or are we talking about, like, these genetically modified monsters that we have now? <laughs> yeah. Hey. All right. Well, we do have a few announcements. Uh, just because things are going to be a little different for next week. Going to be some genetically modified monsters. <laughs> Our next episode is not monsters. going to be live. Okay. Um, so we are not going to be live next weekend, uh, August 25th. We will be posting, however, this second part of the tequila episode. So it will be broken up into two parts in case you miss the live Twitch feed. Um, if you're just on the podcast audio only, 
Part one is, of course, this weekend, and then part two will be next weekend. Um, we will not be doing a, a live news show next weekend either. There will be a news um, show, period, next weekend. Right. Uh, live or... Otherwise, yeah. yeah. <laughs> otherwise. But um, there's going to be something else going on next weekend. Yes. So speaking of next weekend, uh, we will be doing our patron hangout for our $5 per month patrons on Saturday, August 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we will also be announcing that in our um, Discord and on Patreon. So um, if you'd like to be included in something like that, just remember patreon.com slash show. Uh, $5 a month that gets you access to that as well as, um, you know, patron only feed, um, and things like that. So, uh, I think that's it on those two, but well, we'd also will, have, there sorry? will be a, an update and you'll get the, our patrons will get the first announcement for a big announcement for something going on early next year. Right, right, right. Yes. So they will get the lowdown on that before everyone else. Indeed. All right, now we do have an update for the movie draft. <gasps> Welcome to your BT Movie Draft Minute, presented by DiamondClub.tv for the week of August 13th, 2018. I'm your host, Big Voice Jay. Smoking will kill you. Bacon will kill you. Smoking bacon, on the other hand, is the cure. Let's go to the scoreboard. Team Walking Drunk is in last place with $384.7 million. Team Game Night is in fifth place with $523.7 million. Team Ritual Misery is in fourth place with $705.9 million. Team Have a Drink is in third place with a $16 million debut from Crazy Rich Asians, bringing their total to $773.9 million. Team Divine Squad is in second place with $768.8 million. And high atop first place, it's Team Movie Party with one billion thirty point eight million dollars that your movie draft minute all totals are accurate as of august 18th 2018 yeah okay uh, crazy rich agents is not performing the way casey shut your mouth (laughs) it's the first week it's it's gonna be a slow burn that's right we need it to make four hundred million (laughs) dollars in three weeks so it needs to needs to pick up that fire next week It it was a short release it was only in like 4,000 theaters this week. So. Only. Only. Yeah, that's a limited release. I mean. Yeah, down to third. I didn't expect that to happen for some reason. I don't know why. I'm with you on this one. I didn't either. I, I can't remember the team that's at second. I can't remember all their movies, though. I'd have to look that up just to yeah. see what happened there. They had it too good for too long, guys. That's what it was. Yeah. All right. Well, Indeed. on that note, <laughs> we do have uh, uh, some news to get into. Meanwhile, over at Constellation Brands. So, uh, what no- glass have we found this time? <laughs> right, that's where I went. No, no, no glass this time, actually. Um, oh. <laughs> so a number of stories coming out uh, with Constellation Brands. So Corona Beer Maker Constellation Brands will infuse another $4 billion, with the B, into uh, Canada's top cannabis producer, Canopy Growth. That, that starts to get to be a bit of a mouthful. You lied to me, Chris. There's glass pipes involved. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another thing I think is kind of funny, uh, Canopy Growth, uh, the biggest investment in the industry, so they trade at, uh, under the uh, stock weed. Just If you're watching tickers there, it, it, it Beautiful. goes Beautiful. Good for them. You'll see weed, and that's... That, that's like getting a I short am... screen name. <laughs> I am... What Do you know what... 
exchange they're on? No idea. Uh, uh, oh, Toronto. Oh, it's on the Toronto exchange. Okay. okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Because other, I'm like, the federal regulations do not like yeah. uh, money going to weed production <laughs> in the U.S. So the U.S. has just got to catch up with everybody else. Yeah, this That's is the why biggest... we haven't gotten any publicly traded weed companies yet. <laughs> this is the biggest investment in the industry uh, to capitalize on booming demand for marijuana. Constellation, uh, among the first big alcohol makers to invest in the marijuana industry, pumped almost $200 million into Canopy last year in a deal to produce a non-alcoholic cannabis-based beverage. With the new investment, it will support Canopy's full suite of products and assist as it develops new offerings. Uh, Constellation Chief Executive Rob Sands said on a conference call, uh, Toronto-listed company... your answer, Casey, for what you asked earlier. There we go. Yep. Uh, Canopy shares rose as much as 35% and uh, were up 28% uh, to 41.17 at 10.18 a.m. Eastern Time. Over 44 bucks right now. Woo. Wow. The highest two week high is a 48, so yeah. Yeah, this is their highest level since June and lifted shares of its uh, peers as well, based on that news. Constellation shares slid 8% to 203.73 in New York. So uh, the, the Constellation didn't see the uh, positive side of this, but uh, the other companies Everyone's sure like, did. oh, Constellation's investing in them, and everyone who's already investing in Constellation goes, they're investing in what? because <laughs> they hate Canada. Canopy said it will use the proceeds to expand and gain exposure to the nearly 30 countries likely to approve medical marijuana. Uh, it's targeting... Uh, $1 billion in overseas acquisitions over the next 6 to 12 months. Canopy Chief Executive Bruce Linton said on the call, uh, this deal marks the end of the warm-up in our sector. It's fully go time. Uh, Canada, where 4.4 million people reported are reported using marijuana in the first half of the year, approved uh, medical marijuana in 2001 and will fully legalize the recreational use of cannabis in October. I promise my October trip to Canada is not because of this. <laughs> <laughs> As some countries start opening up uh, to legalizing medical marijuana, Constellation Peers, uh, Molson Coors, and Anheuser-Busch have also pursued cannabis deals. Molson Coors said this month its uh, Canadian arm would make cannabis-infused drinks with hydro... hydro... I don't know how to say that. Um, crap, where are we at? It's a thing. <laughs> with fake. They're using fake chemical compounds. Hmm. Uh, with its new deal, Constellation is paying a 38% premium to Canop- uh, Canopy's five-day average price, taking its ownership of the company to 38%. Uh, while STZ, uh, Constellation, is paying a rich premium, we believe this was the right move and further solidifies, I hate, this is a quote, and the person being quoted is just constantly referring to Constellation under their trading name, mm. STZ. Uh, Constellation. It sounds like something you don't want to catch. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like the zombie STD. It's got shards of glass. Actually transmitted zombies. Oh. <laughs> That's so, happening. Constellation's first uh, mover advantage. Uh, Bonnie Herzog, a senior analyst at Wells Fargo, said in a note. Uh, Constell- I was wondering what Werner Herzog was trying to say about about all this. And I went, well, well nope. 
<laughs> Constellation shares had gained 11.7% over the past year before the announcement, underperforming the S&P 500 index. Canopy's share price has almost tripled. Canopy is Canada's biggest cannabis firm, with a market capitalization of $8.9 billion or $6.76 billion U.S., uh, and it's that's up even more now. Mark cap uh, as of like just a few days later today is like nine point five billion. Cool. So this makes yeah. me think we had a friend years ago uh, buying pennies worth of uh, stocks in it was a Canadian uh, company that was doing pharmaceutical marijuana at the time. Hmm. And I think he ended up set, like it over a year. I think it shot up like. And not well. It was massive when you look at percentages. How much the stock worth went up? But he went from you know investing twenty five cents and able to cash out and actually get like twenty thirty bucks out of it. But it's like if he had held on to that, yeah, could have been going through the roof. So um, five of the biggest candy producers are now worth a total of over eighteen billion dollars, despite low sales and almost non existent profits. As they pour capital into increasing capacity, recreational use uh, is allowed in nine U.S. states and the District of Columbia, and sales in U.S. legal markets should nearly triple to $16 billion by 2020. Uh, and that'll be up from $5.4 billion in 2015. Constellation said neither company plans to sell cannabis products in the United States until it is allowed to do so at all government levels. Yeah, of course it does. It's got too much to lose. <laughs> exactly. Like they're they're not going to be like, well, we could jump in and offer something to Denver, but no, they're they're just going to let it slide until they can offer it to everyone. Uh, Constellation expects the investment in Canopy to add to earnings in 2021. So their their outlook on it is like we're we're waiting a couple years till we see see it come back on our end. And that's that's probably why you saw the drop in um, stock prices is because you basically said. This additional investment, we're not going to give that back to our investors this year. We're not going to give them a a dividend at the end of the year. We're going to invest it into a future uh, dividend and, and a future growth. And so by doing that, it automatically will drop the stock price. Exactly. And uh, so uh, with that, uh, the deal is expected to close in October. Uh, the deal lifted shares of Aurora Cannabis and Afria Inc., uh, which rose 21% and 17% respectively off of an announcement that actually had nothing to do with those companies. <laughs> <laughs> the ETF-MG Alternative Harvest uh, ETF, which uh, includes U.S. and Canadian-listed marijuana producers, rose 6.4%. So we've started covering a lot of these kinds of stories, and this is probably the biggest one that we've talked about yet for this, because we're usually like, oh, they're, you know, this... Not marijuana-infused, alcoholic or non-alcoholic drink or whatever. And now it, this stuff, they're, they're not dancing around it anymore. They're getting ready to go full steam ahead. And because they are starting to invest in this, you will see a push for it in uh, U.S. government at the federal the, level to legalize it. The next step is Constellation goes, uh, goes to a street, uh, goes to some... Some street corner or some uh, some dude's house and buys all the weed they're going to need for the year. <laughs> yeah, they they Just, roll up in their big limousine and roll the window down about halfway. Yeah, give me some of that purple haze. Snoop Dogg's inside. He's their <laughs> chief buying officer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
also this past week, Snoop Dogg had a uh, fire alarm go off in, in his hotel room. Surprise. Imagine that, right? wonder what, what uh, was he cooking on a hot plate? And other news, water wet. <laughs> so, um, but that's not all Constellation Brands has been up to. On the same day that they announced this $4 billion investment in canopy growth, Constellation Brands also uh, laid off, the. this article says, dozens of employees, try 60 to 100. Well, I mean, you can still count those as dozens. <laughs> dozens. Yeah. Who Multiple dozens. Tasked with selling the company's craft and specialty beers throughout the U.S. Constellation, oh. whose craft portfolio includes Ballast Point in California, Funky Buddha in Florida, and Four Corners, the most recently acquired in Texas, as well as Mexican import brands uh, Corona, Modelo, and Pacifico, terminated around 60 to 100 of its craft and specialty reps. A source familiar with situation told Brewbound, which is where we got this story. Beer enthusiast website Beer Street Journal first reported the cuts. In an email to Brewbound, Constellation Brands spokeswoman Jamie Stein declined to comment on the exact number of employees that were impacted and instead described the layoffs as right-sizing. As the company reorganizes its craft sales team within its import division. To realize our full potential uh, of our craft and specialty platform, we must drive tighter alignment with our core imported beer business, and this will better position us for long-term growth. According to so Stein, I understand who? that mentality of, you know what, maybe we have too many people in on this. Maybe we should, you know, trim the fat, as it were. Hey. But, I mean, look at me. <laughs> uh, but... That still seems, uh, that's more than like, that's not fat. That's like, that's stapling your stomach and <laughs> and getting liposuction at the same time. I, I don't know how many are in Constellation's sales team, um, what percentage that is, but it seems like a large number. Um, that said, one of the, so I don't know if, I don't know if this is a, linked thing or not but just last month they hired a uh, a chief uh, diversity officer for their company yes hmm. so i don't know if those two things are tied in any way and maybe this is just a a new structure to help promote diversity within um or if it's just a hey we've we've not really hit the growth numbers that we need to uh we need to back off and maybe re reevaluate yeah, uh, they're saying this new sales structure will ensure the right level of organizational emphasis, create efficiency, and bring tighter alignment for short and long-term success. The job cuts are the latest shakeup at Constellation, which has made a number of executive changes this year. Last month, com uh, company promoted John Alvarado to the role of Senior Vice President of Brand Marketing for its beer division. That came just two months after Jim Sab Savia. Uh, who had been serving as the CMO of Constellation Beer Division, took over as the executive vice president and CMO of the entire company. Uh, when Constellation Chief medical officer. <laughs> when Constellation if you're promoted... doing that much glass, you need a medical officer. Yeah, right. <laughs> when Constellation promoted uh, Savia, it also announced that Kraft and Specialty President Marty Berkel uh, would leave the company in late February 2019, 
longtime Constellation executive Ben Dullard, who was named as uh, Beerkel's replacement, has already taken on the craft and specialty title. Also in May, uh, Beer Division Chief Commercial Officer Bruce Jacobson assumed responsibility for the craft and specialty brands. A lot of throwing responsibility around for uh, for that title there. For like, who's actually going to take the blame when these brands start to fail that we've acquired? Yeah. Well, they're like, I feel like they're now going like, you know what, guys? Maybe we shouldn't have bought that company for a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where well, everyone in the industry is laughing. No kidding. What was the, uh, yeah, $4 billion investment into cannabis? Yeah. And then mm. the same day, like, because that definitely dwarfed this, because uh, this didn't really crop up on a lot of radars. So you, while you put out one bit of news to distract from the other. Yeah. Hmm. But we're the show that reports it all. <laughs> we were digging deep for you guys. But no, it's just, it's hard to not, take notice of some things like this but yeah they, it was a nice little magic trick that they performed there hey look at this thing weed we're making <laughs> we're investing in weed and it's a thing and then the other hand slowly scraping a bunch of their craft beer salespeople off the table <laughs> into a trash can hmm. and meanwhile those same uh 60 to 100 craft beer people are saying four billion could pay my salary for quite a while yeah, <laughs> yeah. right so if you are uh, in need or jonesing for some more uh, beverage news uh, we do a full new show, and this week, if you want to check it out, we talked about a wine and cheese advent calendar that you can pick up over at Aldi, and uh, craft beer summer camp. <laughs> so that's a definitely adult summer deal. Definitely want to check that camp out. Camp drink, Awana, we <laughs> hold you in our hearts. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's uh, what uh, we should call any future get-togethers that we have. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. All right, uh, I think we do have a badge on Untapped. Get riggedy, riggedy, All right, yeah, it's time for the New York Pinstripe Pills, uh, part of the Sip Back and Relax series. After overwhelming popular debut, the New York Pinstripe Pills from Blue Point Brewing is back. Brewed exclusively for the New York Yankees, this bright golden pilsner is a crisp, clean, and balanced it takes advantage of a generous amount of Pilsner malt and Motuka? Motuka? Motuka. Motuka hops. Motuka. New York pil- Pinstripe Pills is perfect for a hot summer day, uh, hot summer days at a ballpark. While you're watching the Yankees, be sure to pick up the New York Pinstripe Pills and unlock this new badge. Check into any one beer from Blue Point Brewing within 30 miles of the <laughs> New York, uh, of the Yankee Stadium between now and August 31st. And the New York Pinstripe Pills Sit back and relax. Series badge is yours. Hmm. Hmm. I've still never had anything else from them after because let me. I had the toasted lager and I was like, "Oh, this is great." And then we learned that they were from AB InBev. I'm like, "Oh." And then you hmm. and you threw up trying to get it back out of here. No, no, then disappointed. No, sadly, like I, it's like I think that one's actually tasty. A, it's like yeah, it's still a solid beer, but that was like yeah. right around acquisition time, so I don't know if yeah. anything's changed with it at this point. I don't know. I, I mean, the thing is, they always have it at Oktoberfest. I'm like. We are all on Untapped. Yes. So if you'd like to add us on Untapped, we are uh, Walker X42. Uh, I am uh, at Wanyam, and the uh, temporarily uh, unavailable Casey Price is at just is just at at Casey Price. <laughs> and uh, I am on at the on there on as Spiced and Hoppy. Same thing on uh, everything. If you see her check in, shame her. 
Yes. She should not be drinking. <laughs> but I will be tagging her in many things. So, uh, we've pussyfooted around with this long enough. I think we have a topic that you've all been spoiled on already. I was like, is it going to say it? Okay. We're, we're having way too it much fun It does say with it. This. It's just deep in. Dagila. Let's get into right. it. <laughs> this, this journey that we're taking. Buckle up, buckaroo. <laughs> so, Tian Nigian, uh, an American television... Win. Bless Win. Sorry. Win. Bless you. Uh, American television and social media personality, after becoming the most popular person on MySpace, isn't that cute? Uh, <laughs> tequila was offered her own reality television television series. Her bisexual themed dating show, A Shot of Love with Tila Tequila, aired for two seasons and became MTV's second highest uh, rated uh, series premiere that year. I, I'm being told that that's the wrong tequila. Uh, we're not talking about the reality star today. And instead, we're talking about the millennia-old drink that gave the millennial her name. Mm. That was a bad show. I actually watched it. <laughs> <laughs> that Shame. makes one of us. Shame! But then she got all crazy and started talking about aliens. Shame! Mm. I thought she said, no, you never mind, I'm not getting into this. Um, <laughs> tequila is a pop culture phenomenon and has probably had at least as many country songs written about it as beer. Just don't ask me to sing them. Uh... Even though the drink has seen its popularity increase in recent years, the history of the drink is both rich, uh, is uh, both rich and heritage and flavor. Tequila is a drink that appeals to drinkers on all sides of the spectrum. Whether you are a college party kind who likes to shoot it fast with salt and lime, gross, <laughs> uh, or uh, sip an extra añejo, sophisticatedly neat with grace and swat. Oh, uh, to savor the nuance. I thought that was saying suave. Suave. Perhaps two shots were a bad idea. <laughs> You're right. Buckle up, you've me. got a few more hours. <sighs> anyway, um, uh, this beverage is something has something for everyone. That is, if you hadn't had too much. Oh, we're getting there. Uh, in that case, you may not even be able to hear the word tequila. Uh, it has that reputation of it. It does. It it was Jaeger before Jaeger was, <laughs> was cool. Yeah, there's still my one of my favorite, and it's it's older now. One of my favorite. <laughs> Hold on. R- real quick, I just looked over in the chat room to see Chap App miss- say, oh. "You miss all the shots you don't take." He's not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. We got a fifth. <laughs> oh. So I bought a, a comedy special on iTunes from Comedy Central like forever ago. It was. His name is uh, Steve McGrew, and he was talking about that. It, a lot of his special was really funny. There are but, people who love tequila, and people can never hear that word again. Yeah, that was the yeah. like famous quote on there, and it was like talking about puking from tequila. Well, it was just, that oh. that quote in the uh, the, the wild pig sex. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. 
that the one where he talks about uh, like alcohol is like a party in the stomach, and it's like you, know, you have all the beer and you have like the whiskey. Who's like trying to have fights and all? Of a no, that you get... was. Um, oh, I think that was Jim Brewer. Oh yeah, yeah. Jim Brewer. That is yeah. You get to like. He gets tequila, tequila and they're like, like everybody no! out. No, not that way. The way you came in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, it just so happens that tequila, in all of its glory, is a bit too much for us to try to cram into one episode. As we mentioned, we're going to be uh, splitting this up. So we're going to talk about the base spirits, it history, and how it's made, uh, and maybe even some varieties this week. And next week, we're going to take another shot <laughs> uh, with a primer on tequila mixed drinks and culture around the beverage. <laughs> tequila has rich roots uh in the has its rich roots in the agave plant a fully agricultural product of, Me- of mexico mexico <laughs> hecho in mexico hecho in mexico mexico uh i i'm not gonna say Me- mexico the whole time i'm gonna say mexico <laughs> because otherwise i feel like i'm up. doing speedy yeah. gonzalez and or peggy i hill. start feeling worse when i when i realize that uh what was that Brittany? I said or peggy hill because she would always oh. call it that instead. God, don't. You know what? That makes me want to do it less. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, at le- uh, see, at least the best tequilas are made from 100% agave as its base sugar source. Because it's so important to uh, so important, we need to talk about the plant in some depth. Uh, agave tequila is a variety of tequiliana. Tequiliana. I'm sorry. Uh, is a variety of the agave family most connected with tequila. It is the blue agave plant that is na- uh, native to Mexico, made in labs by one Walter White. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's a different blue thing. Uh, Close, though. <laughs> uh, anyway, it is native to Mexico and uh, specifically the Mexican states uh, Jalisco. Jalisco, Colima, uh, Narat, Narat, Narit. I, and and uh, Aguas Calientes. Hold on, hold on. This water looks, hot. We're all we're all like pulling water pulling hot. our Spanish lessons from Spanish. ages ago. You didn't take Spanish, but I took German, and we've all seen on this show how much that helped me. <laughs> Fair, yeah. Um, the plant grows. Look, some of us, <laughs> some of us took French and Latin. It's not been helpful. <laughs> Uh, the plant grows best at an altitude above 5,000 feet in rich, sandy soils. This plant is part of the lily family, uh, but it resembles a spiky, stiff aloe plant uh, or some cacti. It is. Really, it's a lily. It is a lily. It huh. is no relation whatsoever to the cactus family. I would never have guessed that in a thousand years. I, mm, but if I get cut, I should still rub it. I should still like break it apart and rub its juices inside me. Go for it. That I can't imagine it would feel worse great. as I said it. <laughs> What, Brittany? I can't imagine that would feel great. Tastes yeah. great. <laughs> Less filling. <laughs> anyway, the plant is also uh, a succulent body, meaning that parts of the plants are more suited to being thicker in order to retain moisture. Yeah, we're just going to move on from that sentence <laughs> and leave all the jokes <laughs> floating in my head aside. The spiky leaves of the plant can get up to seven feet long uh, at its peak in around... Uh, a fifth of the year of the plant's life, uh, around the fifth year of the plant's life, the base will shoot up uh, a stalk and flower that can reach 16 feet tall. Uh, in tequila growing operations, however, this stalk is cut off before it can grow uh, too tall so that the energy in the plant is focused back into growing at, uh, growing its base where all the great sugar and flavor is located. 
no need wasting all that all Indeed. that good good energy. The flower can appear uh, if left to grow is yellow and uh, yellow in color and is pollinated by the Mexican greater long nose bat. Sure. Yeah. Which surprised me to read that because the logo for Patron Tequila is the bee. Mm. So mm. I thought oh, they yeah. were saying bees pollinated it. They do a lot of other pollinating. They do, but not the tequila plant. Also, so Doug, please don't have clips of me saying juices inside me and succulent body. <laughs> well, that don't just guarantees that. it. Anyway, this uh, this produces several thousand seeds per plant, but can also cause the plant to die. If left to grow and maintain so it cannot flower, the agave plant can live many years. Hmm. So as long as you don't allow it to flower and therefore allow sexual reproduction, yep, uh, it's going to live forever. It's the last thing wow. it does in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let's see. One of the oldest would be a the 50-year-old plant that was kept in Boston. Of all places. Yeah. The plant was allowed to grow, uh, to flower in 2006, and it produced a 30-foot tall stalk and required the keeper to cut a hole in the green roof house. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) All right. Wow. These plants can grow large, but as uh, with most agricultural products, the selective varietals that uh, behave better for commercial purposes than others. Of all the uh, agave tequiliana varieties... Uh, the Weber Azul variety uh, is the choice for beverage production. Wasn't expecting Weber to show up. No, I don't. Or know. maybe it's supposed to be Weber. Weber. Like Germans getting over there. They're grilling. Possibly leaving leaving Zimmerman notes and making tequila. Um, um, yeah. With their little charcoal grills out in the fields. <laughs> That's like a uh, it's. It's larger and more blue-gray in color than other varieties of the plant. It is also a rapid grower, and it is uh, is quite important to keep uh, keeping up production. This variety is also known not only for uh, for reproducing by pollination and uh, creating seeds, but by also sending off a root system that pop up near the original uh, pop up not far from the original plant and start a new plant. This allows for genetically identical plants to be created from a single plant, keeping the appropriate, uh, appropriately bri- uh, bred characteristics each agricultural season and planting. So, yeah, it's just like, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> We're just going to grow here, too. So the Weber in the Weber Azul comes from the botanist that first described it oh. in 1902. His name was Frederick Albert Constantine Weber. What a name. I was waiting. <laughs> I was, for a minute there, I was like, Weber, Daniel Weber? No, that's Daniel Webster. <laughs> Noted lawyer who fought the devil. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <sighs> All right. So what about, what about this agave plant? Well, the agave plant is planted using shoots called Hayulos? Hayulos. I didn't realize the shoots was down there. Yes. <laughs> So uh, these hoelos, uh, which literally translates to little children, as they are genetically identical to the parent plant. This has been a problem, however, for the agricultural industry. You, you could imagine. Let's think potato famine. Hmm. Uh, the lack of genetic diversity puts the plants at risk for being wiped out all at once. Agave for tequila must be grown in one of only 181 municipalities, mostly around the state of Yalisco. Jalisco. 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 
the low genetic diversity and close proximity of the plants have exacerbated past wilts and rots that affected the crops. Traditionally, agave for tequila was only grown by farmers with a number of crops on their land. The agave plants don't require much more uh, than plenty of sun and a little water to be healthy. This gave many of the farmers in the Jalisco region a good source of funds to supplement their other crops. Prices of grown agave plants, however, have not been stable, and the rise and fall has led to some farmers uh, to plant when prices are high and not plant when prices are low. The instability of the supply of agave has led large producers to start growing their own agave. At least one-third of the 340 million agave plants in the region are said to be owned by the tequila companies themselves. Some of this growth into uh, the agave production market came after a blight and series of freak snowfalls in 2000 when agave prices were very high and supply was low. In the months after the incident, the price of agave increased from less than $0.04 per kilogram to nearly a dollar U.S. At the same time, the U.S. was having a huge boom for the tequila business, and prices per bottle soared. The U.S. consumes 80% of the 190 million liters of tequila Mexico exports every year. At least that, 70% of that is in bars near college campuses. That's crazy. We'll get that to that bar. We get to all, <laughs> like, we get 80% of all tequila. Like, only 20% of it makes it past the U.S. Yep. We consume it all, it almost. Was, it was illegal up until a few years ago to import premium tequila into China. Really? Yep. Jeez. Like, 2006, I think, was when that changed. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, the first recorded use of agave plant for beverage purposes, of course, comes from uh, religious lore. History shows that the plant has been consumed for over a thousand years as an alcoholic drink. Probably something uh, similar to, how was this, uh, pulque? Pulque. Pulque. Pulque is a milk-colored, somewhat viscous liquid that produces a light foam. It is made by fermenting, I've seen it, it's kind of off-putting. Uh, it is made, made it's like by, an aloe drink. Yeah, it's made by fermenting. Yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> well, it's made from fermenting the sap of certain types of agave plants. Uh, Since it's not getting better, guys. Pulque would uh, be similar to the beer that is made from a grain prior to distilling it to make whiskey. Uh, it's it's the alcohol base. Drinking pulque was uh, done, or pulk, pulque, pulque, uh, pulque, pulque. Much further back than making tequila, the blue agave isn't traditionally used for the drink, uh, pulque, but the process for getting the milky beverage is the same for tequila production. Instead, most pulque is created from another agave plant called, oh, the... Mogwai? Mogwai? Or mogwai, yeah, mogwai. Mogwai? Yum, yum, eat them up? Mogwai, yeah. Okay, you don't, you don't feed them after midnight? You never get them wet? You don't. Okay. That, yeah, Exactly. Uh, the drink's history extends far back into the Mesoamerican period, when it was considered sacred and its use was limited to certain classes of people. After the Spanish conquest of Mexico, the drink became secular and its consumption rose. The consumption of pulque reached its peak in the late 19th century. In the 20th century, the drink fell into decline, mostly because of competition from beer, which became more prevalent with the arrival of European immigrants. 
There are some efforts to revive the drink's popularity through tourism. I am down to go to Mexico and try some traditional uh, pulque. There's really two tours that I've seen, not just for pulque, but for, for tequila in that tequila region. There's there's like a one day you can hit like three tequila distilleries, and then there's like a two or three day where you go way outside of town and, and try to hit them that way and actually get in the fields. Chap-Hap, why did we not do pulque when we were down there? Nah. All right, the history of pulque comes from uh, mythological origins. So in one story, uh, Mayahula, Mayahuel? Mayahuel, a, fertil- <laughs> a fertility goddess of the Aztecs and pre-colonial native people of uh, Mexico, is said to have struck an agave plant with lightning to show the people their first taste of the fermented beverage. Uh, in the middle, the people were shown a thick, honey-like substance called agumel, which was sweet and alcoholic. It was thought that this substance was the goddess blood. Uh, in another story, it was said that pulque was discovered by... Okay, you all told me how to say this before, and what was it to... Tolache? No. No. Colache? Casey? <laughs> uh, Tulakuachi. Tulakuachi. Okay. See, I was closer than you guys were making it sound. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tulaka not going to work here anymore. Tulakuachi, or possum, who used his human like hands to dig into the magui, <laughs> the magui, and extract the, the naturally fermenting juice. He became the first drunk. Tulawachi uh, was thought to set the course of rivers. The rivers he set were generally straight, except when he was drunk. Then they would follow Tulawachi's uh, meandering path from cantina to cantina. I love this story. Yeah. So, now, the first story, when they were talking about uh, Manuel uh, striking agave with lightning, I feel like it wasn't to show them the plant. I feel like it was. No, I just had way too much tequila the night before. <laughs> Screw this stuff. I don't want to see it anymore. And comes back the next Bam. day. They're making more of it. <laughs> so whatever comes from truth or lore, the drink has been a staple for much longer than it has been written about, and uh, forms the basis of one of the most popular liquors in the U.S. today. The maguey or agave was one of the most sacred and imported plants in ancient Mexico. It had a privileged place in mythology, religious rituals, and uh, the Mesoamerican economy. Pulque appears in a number of graphic representations from pre-colonial times, beginning with stone carvings from about 200 CE. The first major work involving pulque is a large mural called the Pulque Drinkers, unearthed in 1968 at the pyramids of Cholula. <laughs> Cholula. That, immediately I'm flashing to some hot sauce. Mm. Uh, that's what I thought of too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The most likely means of the discovery of agumel and fermented pulque was from the observation of rodents who gnaw and scratch on the plant to drink the seeping sap. Fermentation of the aguamel can take place within the plant itself. So this isn't a, like, a a lot of things we talk about in human history, it's like, how did we get to this point? And it's always like, well, there always had to be that first person who had to stumble across this accidentally. And in this case, it's, no, 
No, it can ferment in the plant itself. And yep. it was rodents, just meant to be. <laughs> rodents jonesing for this will just start digging into the plant to get drunk. <laughs> and people just saw them doing it and they're like, huh. Well, that possum it, looks happy. That yeah, possum gotta... <laughs> may be more correct than anything else. That <laughs> yeah, possum exactly. looks happy. That marsupial I too want to be happy. <laughs> that marsupial that. looks quite happy. Uh, all right, for the indigenous peoples of the central highlands of Mexico, uh, the imbibing of pulque was done only by certain people under certain conditions. It was a ritual drink consumed during certain festivals, such as that of the goddess Mayuel. And the god, uh, Mixcotl. I know, I don't remember how you say the X in, <laughs> I guess it, Mixcotl. Uh, it was drunk by priests and sacrificial victims to increase the priest's enthusiasm and to ease the suffering of the victim. There are many references, references in Aztec codices of pulque's use by nobility and priesthood to celebrate victories. Among commoners, it was permitted only to the elderly and pregnant women. <laughs> Hear that, Brittany? Yeah. <laughs> Production of pulque. <laughs> that means today's episode is for you. Oh, God. Uh, Production of pulque was ritualized, and the brewers were superstitious. You don't say. Uh, they would abstain from sex during the fermentation period because they believed that sexual intercourse would sour the process. Uh, today, however, tequila makes <laughs> all the clothes fall off. That's why you read your section before you get yeah. to it. See, I pre-read this entire doc, and I got we to that point, it. and I just went, Ugh. I don't even know what that what that is. Okay. It's a bad country song. Oh. It's a song quote. There's a lot of song quotes throughout this that yep. I've snuck in here and there. Oh, okay. A lot of good puns as well. So if it's if it's uh, um, country, I'm not going to have any idea. Uh, after the conquest, pulque lost its sacred character, and both indigenous and Spanish people began to drink it. The Spanish initially made no laws regarding its use. It became a lucrative source of tax revenue, but by 1672, public drunkenness had become enough of a problem <laughs> that the uh, vice-regal government created regulations to curtail its consumption. A maximum... Yeah, that's about how, <laughs> yeah, that's how, how that, that works, yeah. goes. Um... <laughs> A maximum of 36 uh, pulquerias, basically uh, pulque bars, were permitted for Mexico City, which had to be located in open areas, uh, be without doors, and close at sundown. Food, music, dancing, and the commingling of the sexes were prohibited. Uh, these were basically some of Mexico's earliest blue laws. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You, you, I understand to some extent, at least, like, hey guys, stop, stop getting drunk and fighting in public. Yeah. But, um, you know. It says, uh, pulque continued to play a major role in the socioeconomic history of Mexico during colonial times and in the early years of independence. Through this period, it was the fourth largest source of tax revenue. Uh, tequila, the distilled beverage, was first produced in the 16th century near the location of the city of Tequila. Who knew? Huh. I wonder where they yeah. got the name. Imagine that, right? Uh, which was not officially established until 1666. When the Spanish conquistadors ran out of their own brandy, they began to distill agave to produce one of North America's first indigenous distilled spirits. That's, That's a right. bunch of conquistadors going, I you need, need something, something to drink. drink. Yeah. <laughs> I need anything. Uh, um, <laughs> see. Some 80 years later, around 1600, 
Don Pedro Sanchez de Tagle, uh, the Marquis Marquess of uh, Altamira. Key. Huh? Marquis. Oh, Marquis. Sorry. Uh, Marquis of Altamira began mass producing tequila at the first factory in the territory of modern day Jalisco. By 1608, the colonial governor of uh, Nueva Galicia had begun uh, to tax his products. Spain's King Carlos IV granted the Cuervo family the first license to commercially make tequila. That monster. <laughs> He's a monster! Uh, Don Cenobio Sousa, founder of Sousa Tequila and municipal president of the Village of Tequila from 1884 to 1885. Was what a title. I know. Yeah. Was the first to export tequila to the United States and reportedly shortened the name from tequila extract to just tequila um, for the American markets. So uh, Don Cenobio's grandson, Don Francisco Javier, gained international attention for insisting that, quote, there cannot be tequila where there are no agaves. His efforts led to the practice that real tequila can come only from the state of Jalisco. Hmm. Um, I'm familiar with this mentality. Yeah. The, state, the way of yes, bourbon indeed. only comes from the state of Kentucky. That's Kentuckians, exactly right. yes. Uh, there were some, uh, these were some of the first statements that defined tequila as a specific product of Mexico. Agave tequiliana is planted tended and harvest uh, harvested much in the same way it was in the past and the mass differences that modern um, farm equipment have changed uh, to the process remains superficial tractors may be used to clip off one side of the agave plants sharp leaves or may be used to plant the small shoots but the actual harvesting process is still done by hand um himadores uh, or the harvesters of agave use a Koa? Koa. Okay. Koa. Koa. Uh, to help harvest the plant. Uh, this tool is a circular blade on the end of an approximately five foot long wooden handle. Interesting. Uh, the blade is basically a circle attached to the end of the pole and sharpened at the end. Each himadora or himador carries, uh, carriers, sorry, carries, I can't read, carries their koa as well as a file in order to keep the blade sharp as they work through the day yeah those that sounds uh, like a terrifying image there are amazing videos you can find of these guys working and it's that that they have such a skill at this it is absolutely breathtaking to watch some of these guys working because it's just like they can just go in and like four chops they've cleared that entire agave yeah also i just like i'm just looking at the dock and all i'm seeing is jim adore (laughs) and i'm just like all right ole jim (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah, these guys are some athletic folks. Yeah. Um, the humidors start by chopping off the external leaves of the agave plant. This removes most of the size of the plant, makes it easier to work with. Leaves are also bitter and not used for making tequila. Instead, the heart of the plant, also known as the pineapple because of its similar appearance. By the time you get all those leaves chopped off, it kind of does look like a pineapple. That's used for the beverage. Most plants harvested for tequila are around eight years old and have grown until the heart of the plant weighs between 150 and 240 pounds. Uh, each one of these hearts, by the way, can produce about six liters of tequila from it. Ooh. So, nice. good amount of tequila. And we were talking about prices. Think about it this way. Six liters of tequila, one agave plant, and back when it was four cents for a kilo versus 
a dollar a kilo, you were looking at paying, I don't know, what, three or four bucks to make a few liters of tequila instead of paying like 50 or 60 bucks to make a few liters of tequila. So there was a, a real big difference there. So the Hemador tradition and job is familiar in nature, being passed down from father on to son. In the fields, the Hemador would split the piña into or remove the core of the piña's roots. This part contains many oils that actually cause off flavors. Um, after harvesting, the workers will burn the leaves and leftovers to reduce the size of the biomass and to give the land a head start on that next planting. So you, even in the middle of these very hot days, you'll see lots of uh, lots of fires burning in these fields. Um, from the fields, the piñas are transported directly to the distillery where they're cooked in humongous ovens. This opens up the plant and helps convert the fructans, or fructans into simple fructose sugars and all those starches as well. Um, in reality, there are three methods used to cook the piña. The first is the more traditional, and that would be where the oven uh, is uh, an oven uh, is filled with piñas and heated over about three days with some moist heat and steam. It takes a long time for the plant to release all the sugars and for the conversion to happen. So during this time, the piña will develop some roasted-like characters. Second, um, and the more modern way, and what we've been kind of seeing more and more on mass production is that you're seeing the autoclave or pressure cooker process. So just like a pressure cooker can help soften beans, cook cook them more quickly, or create a tender roast in just a few minutes, the pressure cooker also helps speed up the cooking process in the piñas. Instead of days, the pressure cooker can complete the process in around 16 hours. It'll also have a more neutral flavor instead of a roasted note. Um, in the mezcal process, they actually use the... The, basically a process where they, they put them into a pit and roast them that way. So the most industrial and frankly lackluster method of the sugars, uh, getting the sugars out of the agave, is the diffuser method. The diffuser is looked upon with disdain and most connoisseurs of tequila really don't like it. It's a quick and cheap way to make junk tequila basically. The piñas are shredded into raw fiber, and uh, that is pressure washed with hot water and sometimes other substances to squeeze out the starch out of the fibers. Then the fibers are quickly boiled in a pressure cooker. Uh, this process is much quicker but removes all the nuance from the tequila. This actually sometimes leads to producers adding back flavors to approximate the true flavor of tequila, including some like pine-type flavors. Um, from the process of cooking the piña, it will actually be sent to fermentation. Usually the tequila is fermented in large open-top containers, mostly of wood or stainless steel. Now, the piñas are always shredded, but sometimes the juice is extracted from the fibers and sent to ferment, while other times the juices and the fiber are both sent to fermentation. An older method of shredding the piñas involves placing them in a pit with a wheel that's turned by a donkey and uh, crushing the piñas and their fibers after they've been steamed. So, yeah, yeah, the wheel rolls over. It's kind of like a Yeah, a, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm just like, Really? They still use the donkey? They actually do, yeah. Some of the um, – like even the the Patron as a producer will use the donkey. Well, they don't use a donkey. They've got a cart now that, that pushes it. But it's the same wheel. Just instead of using donkey power, they use uh, oh motor in, yeah. to, mm. to run it. That's what I was like mostly going like, yep. wait, they're still using the donkey? That seems – I mean if you're going real traditional on it. Yeah, a little less crap around the outside <laughs> and getting you tequila, but you know. 
but they'll still use that stone wheel and, and run it around and then take all that that shred out to be fermented. Um, during fermentation, some producers allow wild yeast to inoculate their mash, but most large producers will start with a standard blend of their own house yeasts. It'll vigorously ferment over one to seven days, so if it's using their own yeast and dumping it in really quickly, then they'll get it done in one or two days. If it's using a wild yeast, it'll take up to seven days just for everything to get done. Uh, the longer fermentation... Uh, the longer fermentation takes, the more essence, flavor, and aroma will likely be produced, and the tequila may have more yeast character. So the beer of this this mixture, basically, will have an alcohol content of 5 to 6%, and that will be distilled to make a high wine, which is 20 to 25% alcohol by volume. Huh. Um, all tequila is distilled twice to increase the alcohol content to around 55 to 60% ABV. Um, the the key factor on this side is that when you are distilling it, a lot of these distillers have sort of a superstition about their tanks and about their, their stills. They will actually only use certain types of stills and only small stills. If they started out with a small still, they'll just get a bunch of that same size still and won't upgrade to larger stills. It's really interesting to see. Well, they do that with uh, – um, they used to do that with some – whiskey stills where mm-hmm. like they'd have the copper stills but like they get banged but they would make it in a certain way so when they get a new one they'd they replace like, it yeah bang it in the same spot it's like no oh, yeah. it has to have a dent right here and then right over here to make sure we get as consistent as possible yep so it's usually stored in a tank and then diluted down to around 40 percent abv i say usually 40 percent because in the u.s it has to be at least 40 percent to be called tequila Outside of the U.S., it could be down to 38 or 37% alcohol usually. Um, some distillers will age their tequila in barrels at higher ABVs and then dilute it after to see if they can get the style and flavors that they're really looking for. If the product is released as is without any barrel aging, it's called a silver tequila or a tequila blanca. Um, okay. The silver tequila has no age and can be bottled immediately. So this brings us through how most of tequila as a base liquor is made. Okay, So we went through the history, the process, as well as some of the lore. And that's going to wrap us up for this week. But since we're doing a back-to-back two-parter, for those of you that are here on Twitch, you can get to hear part two in just a few minutes. For the rest of you, we'll talk about the rest next week. And what we'll be talking about is the different types of tequila, um, the difference in tequila and mezcal, why there may be a worm in your drink, as well as margaritas, their origin, and other tequila drinks. And a tasting. Also, yes, a tasting by complete happenstance. (laughs) That is amazing that this has come about. See, you mentioned uh, margaritas, and my time as a bartender just makes me go, and now I am sad. (laughs) So I had to look up the the humidor. Um, I was trying to find, like, the picture of, like, the, the utensil, or I guess not utensil, the tool that they're using. But, yeah. Oh, the 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 Jimador, the the Koa the with the Jimador. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, apparently, there's also a brand of tequila called El Jimador, and mm. uh, it's actually got on on the bottle, the cool bottle, on um, kind of I don't know, etched or embossed or whatever, of that person like at the agave plant with the tool and everything. It looks really cool, um, and it's 100% agave tequila. So. Ian, I had never, I'd seen this tequila. I had never noticed the embossing on the glass. Though, I, know, I just noticed that. I was like, was. huh. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I just thought that was kind of neat. <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. the, uh, interesting. 
It's reminiscent of the uh, um, the monkey shoulder. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah. That same that's same mentality. Yeah. Well, and that same mentality in making your yep. naming your your beverage after the worker that created yeah. it. Yep. Exactly. So I think that wraps us up for this week. If you're listening on Twitch, hang around. If you are listening on the show, you have to wait another week or you can maybe go back on Twitch. I don't know. And look at the back episodes. You might be able to do that. I don't know. However you um, do I don't know. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but in the meantime, you can visit us at haveadrinkshow.com for useful links and info about us. Also look for Have a Drink Show on social media and twitch.tv. Also, you can, use, uh, you can use the website to tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. You can use the uh, email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also use the feedback page on the website, which is where I was trying to start that sentence. <laughs> I was gotcha. like, uh... Or you can go to Facebook. You can go to Twitter. Anywhere. You can add Mes- us or whatever you want. Messenger pigeons. It's our just, favorite method. Just I'm, write, have a drink, on, and then your question, wrap it around their leg. Send I'm waiting. They we know have, us. We have a rooftop coop, and we just keep waiting for these pigeons to come to come in. I, they never show. I up. stand on 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 a rooftop with a bunch of pigeons and a aviator outfit with like a lot of little pins and ropes on it. You know, I was going more for the pigeon lady from Home Alone Two, Lost in New York. <laughs> ah, see, no, I went, I went, Hey Arnold, mm. uh, all, all the way. All right, all, all joking and fun aside, guys, I like to remind everyone: please drink responsibly, especially right. with tequila. Yeah, <laughs> very much. Don't be like us. Okay. Um, so as we mentioned at the top of the show, we will not be live next Saturday, but if you are audio only, uh, this, the second part of the tequila series will be posted, uh, next weekend. So, um, you can still check out though, uh, patreon.com slash have a drink show. Uh, if you would like to, uh, take part in that hangout that we mentioned before. And, uh, once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next Bye guys. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>